0: You're listening to Supply Chain Radio. My name is Matt Gunn. I've got a couple of esteemed guests here in the studio with me today. Why don't you two introduce yourselves? Thanks, Matt. This is uh, Guy Courtin. My name is uh, Doug Tiffin. All right, Guy and Doug. It's April. It's the start of a new baseball season. Spring may be on its way, depending on what part of the world you're in, but there's a new world of hope and A revival, if you will. A revival.
1: It's baseball season. It's It's a beautiful time of the
0: year. That's right. And if the season ended today, the Cubs might miss the World Series, but that's for another day. We want to talk a little bit about the ball game. We're going to relate it to the stuff that we do all the time, which is retail, supply chain, the world as we see it. But a topic that I have heard about and that has gone crazy in business is this whole Moneyball thing. Now, this goes back in the late 90s, early 2000s when Brad Pitt, oh wait, I mean, (laughs) Sandy Alderson and um, Billy Bean. In the Oakland A's.
1: Billy Bean, who was supposed to come to the Red Sox, but we won't get into that.
0: Right. Now, facing tough odds, being in one of the most ugliest stadiums with some of the worst funding and a team that was made up of spare parts, he found a way to compete with the likes of the New York Yankees, who were outclassing everyone, winning record games, uh, signing the best players to the biggest contracts, and really dominating the game by doing it traditional way. Correct. Get good players.
1: Spend uh, a lot of money on spend them. Spend the money.
0: Get good players that look good. Have
1: the five tools. Have the five tools. Run correctly, swing correctly, and all these things. So yeah, so absolutely. I think it's uh, the whole Moneyball concept is definitely something that I think every time we start spring training or start baseball again, sort of comes back into the into the prey. And as you said, I think it's very trendy now to leverage or to think about Moneyball from a business standpoint.
0: Absolutely, because there are these weird and distinct Ties. So the Oakland A's reverse-engineered the entire game. Instead of focusing on the guy that can hit the most home runs, or that could run the fastest, or that looked the most like a baseball player, they really only cared about data—things that were being undervalued that they could sign players to. In this case, it was something like on-base percentage. If you have guys that get on base and a lot of them on your team, eventually those guys are going to score runs, and that's going to be part of your road to success. That in and- You know, some other things like luck and good pitching. But ultimately, you're taking advantage of something that no one else really values because they're used to the traditional vision of what a ball player is and what a baseball team looks like. Now, businesses, we have our models, we have our inspirations in the world. We name any example, right? That have all the money and that can execute perfectly and that can invest in their products and their supply chain and really the new development can outpace everyone else.
1: Well, I think it's, it sort of speaks to the whole concept of, as I think we've talked about in the past, we've heard this, right? The notion of data, there's plenty of data out there. There's almost too much data out there, right? And how are you going to process it? You know, you're going to take your abacus and start looking at numbers and try to figure out what does this mean? Or are you going to be able to handle the amount of data that's out there, right? That's sort of the money ball issue, right? And I think in retail and in business and the supply chain, what we're seeing is a lot of these companies are starting to think about it from, well, what do we do with this information, right? Just like in Moneyball, right? What do we do to uncover that hidden gem? What do we do to uncover a business opportunity that we never thought of before? You know, if I'm trying to sell or if I'm trying to produce something and, and I don't know if it's gonna work or not, how do I get ahead of the curve? How do I anticipate demand? How do I figure out, hey, if that, you know, rich middle-aged white guy really wants that Porsche or wants something else or is gonna go organic, how do I get ahead of that curve? Now, I can do traditional methods of just A-B testing and things like that, or I can maybe look at the data. And I think that's sort of the money ball concept, right? Is we have the information, how do we leverage it? How do we take advantage of it?
0: Right, now, Doug, from a practitioner standpoint, you've worked in retail and you've run some of these operations. Tell me, did you have all the funding in the world and were you able to buy all the best technology or processes? Uh, you know, we
2: didn't always have the, all the funding that we needed in the world. But we did have a lot of data, and we didn't really know how to use the data. So Guy just mentioned a minute ago, there's all these things out there. What do we do with it? Well, and what we're also not talking about is half the time humans are doing it, right? They're sifting through all this data and figuring out the connection points. Well, today, my argument is you've got to back off of the human element and let the machines do the work. Let the computer help you figure out what those relationships are in the data to draw value out. Find those small pieces, the small parts that can add up to be a greater sum than just all the pieces individually. And that's where you can find the success It's in those hidden values.
0: And you key in on something really interesting. There there are these various elements and really no business and really no baseball team looks alike. Well, you know, maybe they all have certain standards for the type of business that you're in, say regulations or you know, simply registering with the SEC. Basic ground rules, right? Just like any baseball team. But the fields are different. Players are different the way that you get to a successful outcome can vary, right? There's no template here.
2: There isn't. And sometimes, you know, you've got to work within your rules and regulations to drive the best outcome. So think about, I'm going to roll it back into the supply chain for a minute. Sometimes the normal path or the way you've always done it, right? The regulated path may not be the best way. And by the way, there might be another way that you could get there. You can bring your goods a different way in, but there's all sorts of Regulations, there's rules, there's restrictions, there's unions, there's all sorts of things you got to deal with. So many rules, that so many variables. Again, I, I would argue that it's time to kind of let advanced algorithms and machine learning and logic dictate. Like, hey, guess what? I have a better way to get goods to you, or you know, get your inventory into your warehouses a lot more efficiently, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's just it's all about being more efficient so that you can get what really is most important—that's better results.
0: And really, results are what matters at the end of the day, right? Whether it's to your shareholders, whether it's to your staff, whether it's the people in the field that are running the stores, your success is driven on the ability to drive value across the whole business itself. But doing things differently isn't something that you can just flip a switch and do overnight. Is this correct? I mean, look at the Moneyball example again. We had a template for what a good team looked like and how you build it. And there was a traditional way of going about constructing this. You had scouting, you had player development, all kinds of factors that, that were the establishment. How do you win them over? a bunch of guys in a room that decide the fate of everything that well, you do. And I think
1: to build off the of Doug's point too, I think it's, there's not one solution for everything, right? So to your point, the numbers, the data can lead you to a direction, but it doesn't necessarily mean there's only one direction. So you know, just for funsies, think of this situation, right? If, if you are looking at how to run your store network, the data might tell you that, well, you should close more stores or make bigger store footprints or make stores within stores and all these things. But the reality is, maybe it's a hybrid of that. Maybe it's a combination. Maybe for one retailer, it's the data will lend itself to say, maybe we do this. To another retailer, it's something else. And I think, that's the, I think that's the power of the information. I think that's also the danger of the information, which is we don't have necessarily nirvana in the information. We don't have the holy grail of the answer. Right? We don't have the magic of you know Gandalf saying it's going to be this and boom, it becomes this. You have to be open to what the information might tell you. So the information might lead you down a certain path or the information might validate something or the information might open up something that you never thought of before. And I think to some degree, I think that's what retailers and supply chains need to have is really it's open mind where the data is valuable, the data is plentiful, there's golden those hills but don't in a way go with the preconceived notion and also don't go in and maybe let the data run things like you still need a human element right you still need to be able to think about saying well what does this make sense does this is this the right path right because again the moneyball example it worked for the oakland a's but they never won a world series right you could argue that teams like the cubs or the red sox employed it but they also added other aspects they didn't rely solely on the data they did other things Yes, they spend some money, things like that, but there are different paths, or different ways of getting from point A to point B. The data plays a role, it's an important role, it's a bigger role, but in my opinion, it is not pure nirvana, it is not the only way, it is not the only tool we have today.
0: That speaks to another point that we've talked about before a little bit, but if you are swimming in data, how do you gauge whether you're asking the right questions? That's the
1: $10 million question, right? It's, it's not the amount of data we have, it's the questions you ask of it. And I think that's the challenge, you know, from my standpoint, I think from retailers, what questions do you ask of the data? And I can always get one more piece of data, but at some point I need to make a decision and I need to ask the right question to make a right decision. And at some point I need to act. Now, the beauty of the data, I think, is that once I act, I have a feedback loop that's much more efficient than it might have been 10, 15 years ago where I can start getting business time feedback from the data to say, hey, was the decision right? Am I making margin? Am I you know, satisfying the customer? So I think that's the other part of it, too, is, hey, I can make a decision or I should make a decision based on data. And then I could take the feed of data to start measuring my success of that decision. And what else could I do? So I think that's the mentality people have to take, sort of taking the Moneyball example beyond, right, not just acquiring the right talent or the right strategy, but then being able to measure it on an ongoing basis and in a business time basis, and then adjusting as you go along. And I think that's the hard part, and, you know, and Doug, we've talked about this, is if you look at retailers today, they have to move away from the silo notion of different departments are doing different things separately, because it's all interconnected. It's all part of the network within your company, within your network, where the decisions you make and the actions you take will have repercussions. How fast can I figure those out, good and bad?
2: So one thing that I think we could touch on for a minute is adoption of the data right so you can tell somebody all day long hey the data says we need to do things differently but if you don't act on it or you don't believe it you're going to go back to your old ways you know i had a protege who had that very scenario there was the system was telling him to go one way but what did i catch him doing he was back working in excel figuring out the way to do it on his own but there's a real key to success here that it's a matter of proving them wrong. So, in an adoption model that I'm familiar with, is we'll run and we'll say, if, if you're not comfortable with what the output of the machine is, fine, do it your own way. You know, so if you run things side by side, you let them look at it, and I let I w- let my assistant like run with it and do it his own way. But I ran the data and ran the, the results on the other side parallel, and you know, sometimes it doesn't start out. to Guy's point a minute ago. Sometimes the data isn't the best way. But over time, you keep tweaking what you get out of it. You tweak it, tweak it. As soon the data in the you know, the system is recommending a better way of doing things. And when you compare that, you're like, oh, wow, the system's beating me all the time now by at least 20%. Guess what? Now you're getting adoption. It's like, maybe I should go with what the machine is suggesting. So it's not only getting the data and tweaking it, but you've got to get adoption. You've got to get people to believe it or the data's kind of worthless because they'll go back to the old way of doing things.
0: Right, it's easy to kind of settle back for the, the status quo. And, you know, we talk about, you know, the baseball season. At the start of it, every team's a winner, right? And everyone's Every's got... Every 0-0, 0-0, right? Fresh slate. It's a long season. 162 games, right? And so you got to be in it for the long haul as well. You don't just open up a box of Cracker Jacks and find the prize inside. It takes a little work, right? Well, and
1: to Doug's point, it's, it's this constant evolution, right? It's this adoption. It's this ability to be open, be flexible, but it's hard. I think a lot of it too is there is a level of comfort going back to doing the old ways. And all of a sudden it's, I always sacrifice to get a guy from second to third. That's all I'm gonna do, right? I don't believe in new statistics, wherever that may be. But I do think the thing about data, what Doug was saying is that at some level, numbers don't lie. Maybe somewhat you can fudge them, but numbers don't lie, right? I can show results, I can show sales numbers, I can show revenue, I can show margin, all these things. So I think at some point, you know, you're able to use a data to measure, right? And I can't manage what I can't measure. So if I can measure it, I can manage it. And if I can manage it, I can change it. And I think that's the important part, especially in today's retail, because things are moving so quickly, right? All of us in this room and listening to this as consumers are driving this change. So the retailers that use all the tools available to them, including data and information, are the ones that have an opportunity to keep up with the pace of change. If you ignore it, you ignore it on your own peril.
0: It's an excellent point. And again, it speaks to this idea that there is an aggregate and you have to benchmark it to something. Success doesn't just appear in and of itself. You don't just plug in a new system or have some new analytics and say, okay. And
1: boom, it's all a world hunger solved. No, it doesn't happen
0: that way. Where's our championship ring, right? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what are our thoughts on where companies are today, though? A lot of people are facing tough change right now. Some of them are kind of going back to their core and trusting their gut, but you do get the sense that perhaps some of them are moving in this new direction. All right, what are some kind of examples that you can list out that shows this new and different way of thinking that is taking the tools or the resources that are available, but applying them in different creative ways and measuring it to ensure that they're moving forward?
2: So one thing I think that companies are doing today, they realize they've got a wealth of information. So now it's what are we going to do with it? So what the companies that are changing the game and thinking of the future, they're taking that leap of faith and investing in in the systems that can handle it. So there's two steps there. One, it's finding the good partners out there that can help them supply the data. They've got to, they've got to clean up their data. Oh man, there's a lot of junky data out there. But then two, it's taking those leaps of faith to invest in something that's going to give them recommendations on how they need to change their behavior, no matter how counterintuitive it could be sometimes. And by the way, you don't have to go in with both feet. It's OK to do an A-B test. So I'm going to take a market and leverage what you know this the machine learning-led forecast is doing in this market. I'll take that and I'll compare it against a similar demographic market in another area. They're doing it today, and they're finding out, OK, where's the best path? They're taking a leap forward, they're testing, they're looking at the results, they're making adjustments, and they're going at it again. There are retailers out there today that are ahead of the game now because some things that have changed since yesteryear, right? I have all this data. How am I going to compute with it? I don't have enough hardware on premise. It will crash my system if I try to do this over a weekend. Well, they're... Plenty of big retailers now out there that invested in the cloud and leveraging that out. If I need 10,000 cores over the weekend for two hours to run a very complex forecast, hey, you can get that now. That's not out of the reach, and it's not out of reach for smaller retailers too. And that's what makes it really compelling. Now even the 100 store chains or the 50 store chains, they can even take advantage of machine learning and incorporate and take that leap of faith, plug in all the data they can and let the system figure out where those relationships are. And so... It's not a fine science today that we can go out and execute like overnight. It's something that takes iterations and the companies that are doing it, they're finding big success. And then that can help self-fund them taking other you know, corrective action to improve other parts of their business to keep trying to grab that consumer and keep them engaged.
1: Yeah, I think to, to reiterate a lot of your points, I think part of the things that we've observed too is that it's not necessarily a big bang. The reality is business has to continue to function you know, and get payroll every two weeks and keep the lights on, things like that. But there absolutely is this need to move forward, like to Doug's point, like to to start thinking about where can I make some incremental improvements, where can I make some disruptive improvements, and really have a balance. And that's not one size fits all, right? Every retailer, every company has a certain threshold for risk, and that's up to them to measure it. A lot of it comes from the leadership on down. Some leaders are not going to be very risk averse, and that's okay. But... Is there opportunities to do skunk works? Is there opportunities for certain parts of the business to try different things? And I think that's where the, the interesting part of the opportunity is. And I think the exciting part is, is that you know, you're not restricted anymore as you might have been 10, 15 years ago with some of this when it comes to technology, when it comes to the data and information. You know, it's a matter of people raising their hand and saying, hey, we're going to try this and see what happens. And the one thing, too, I know it's a cliche, but it's true. It's you know, fail early, learn fast, right? Don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to try. The worst thing you do is sit by and just sort of say, eh, not for me. You know, Yes, it is. Somewhere in your organization, somewhere in your supply chain, somewhere in your retail functionality, there could be an opportunity. Figure it out. Identify it. Go with it. Try it. Don't be afraid to fail. But learn from it, and then keep building on it. Right? It's an iterative process. Keep learning on it, because if you're not doing it, I guarantee your competition is doing it. Or someone that you never thought of is thinking about it, and they're going to get in your market, and they're going to eat your lunch. Right. That's the reality of it. And that's that's what, in a way, this concept of and of data is opening up is that people can themselves from the outside say, hey, I could do this better because I've identified X, Y and Z based on the data. I'm going to go try it. I don't need to have 15 years experience in this space. I think I can do it a little bit better. So I think that's the part, too, that people need to be really aware of, is that it's lowering a lot of barriers for people to come in to literally try new business models.
0: All right. Excellent points all around. There's some truth in data. There's no one set template. And, you know, you have to keep working and not be afraid to take those lumps as you go. Hey,
1: remember. Learn from it. You fail seven times out of 10,
0: you make the Hall of Fame. That's right. And with that, we're going to close out this episode of Supply Chain Radio. Thank you for listening. Find us on iTunes or your favorite podcast network.